Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about At Eternity's Gate, which is uh, a 2018 film. It's just come to the Mac mm. um, by uh, Julian Schnabel. And it's about the last uh, sort of period of Vincent van Gogh's life. Yes. As, as uh, his brother pronounces it. Everyone in England just goes, Vincent van Gogh. But that's wrong. (laughs) Right. Vincent van Gogh. Vincent van Gogh is played by Willem Dafoe. Yes, who's great. Who is great. His brother, uh, Theo, is played by Rupert Friend. Uh Uh-huh. A priest a little later on in the film is played by Mads Mikkelsen. There's uh, a a doctor. One of the... The film recreates various uh, paintings that van Gogh did and... Uh, the the doctor that appears in one of them is played by um, Matthew Armalric. Yes. Who previously appeared in The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Yes. As John Doe, the main character, which was that was directed by J- Julian Schnabel. The story follows uh, Van Gogh in his in his last years of life. He he goes to Arles in mm. south of France on the advice of Paul Gauguin, and he doesn't really get along with many of the people there. They kind of find him crazy, and he say drinks too much. There are a couple of people who. He has he's kind of friends with, but essentially he's he is only happy when he's painting. I'd say he's only calm when he's painting, and he has these philosophies around painting that he, he talks about having to get a painting done as quickly as possible. Uh, a, a text, uh, uh, an intertitle right at the end of the film says that in the eighty days he spent there, he did seventy five paintings, no. which seems like a lot. Yes. You know, um, he 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 takes this uh, a blank book that's given to him by a woman there. And fills it with drawings almost immediately. You get the impression he's just sketching and sketching and sketching, and he's kind of alive when he's in nature. Yes. Anyway, I I I didn't like it. Let's, let's get <laughs> to the crux of it, really. So I thought it's a film that it's divided into four sections. Each begins with darkness, and you have Willem Dafoe speaking, uh, and. You know, and and that introduces each sector of the film. Um, I think in the first, you know, sector, uh, kind of, he says, oh, you know, I paint. Well, why do you paint, right? Kind of, I have to, well, why? Or something like that, right? Like, so, um, and I, I don't like the thesis that the film puts out. So ostensibly... Uh, the 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 myth or what we've known and about Van Gogh until now is that he shot himself, that he committed suicide. Mm. But you know, this new film puts out the theory that in fact he was shot, and by two young boys. By two young boys, and the film has, I think, a very despicable view. You know that um, you, everyone was against uh, Van Gogh, and that. Uh, you know, the ordinary peasants that he lived with were uncouth, uncomprehending savages that taunted and tortured him, uh, which I've not seen before in any of the other uh, um, treatments of uh, Van Gogh's life, and there are so many, uh, and which I do find actually kind of like despicable. It's a kind of, it's a really snooty cosmopolitan view that kind of civilization only exists in centers of culture and that everywhere else is kind of scary and brutish and thuggish. I really mm. despise that. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean. The film also doesn't have the most positive 
attitude towards the city though either because it's certainly it's it's, it's certainly on Van Gogh's side the whole way through and Van Gogh is someone who doesn't get along with the city he needs to be in nature um, but I think uh, Gauguin's whole discussion uh, is about the city so I think I think what what we see in the city is the art establishment and the art establishment is seen as despicable mm. as well so on the one hand the art establishment is despicable and then like you know kind of you know small town provincials are seen as brutish and thuggish and yeah. incomprehending you know that only really leaves kind of you know his brother <laughs> you know uh, and the family and Gauguin, right? Those are kind of mm. the only and and just his his own mind, his interior self. There's all this talk about the way I see the world and yes. and the vision I can bring to people, and I, I, um, which I don't think none of that I think comes across as self-important on the on the side of Vincent Van Gogh. I think he's quite a sympathetically rendered character, yes. but I can see what you mean about the the world that that is built around him. Is entirely unsympathetic. It's it's a very it's a very narrow view of the world, and it's a very with a very inflated sense of the artist's role in it, mm. um, and the role of art, and also with no concessions to the spectator, like you know. So some images and so on were very beautiful, and I thought you know this would be great in an installation, you know. But in a two-hour movie where half of the screen is blurred throughout, right? Where it's a mobile camera with no suspension that's just wobbling and wobbling and wobbling and wobbling. The combination of the camera constantly wobbling and actually, you know, that third of the bottom of the screen yeah, that was always out of focus. Well, not always, but a lot of it. There are lots of kind Most of, of the time. No, not most of the time either, but there are significant portions of the film. I think particularly when you're supposed to be seeing things from literally Van Gogh's POV. Yeah, yeah, no. But it's, I, it's actually, like I think a, it's like a split diopter or uh, a, just a um, a digitally added effect where the bottom half of the screen is blurred out, like you're looking through tears. Yeah. And I didn't like that either. I hated um, that. And then the bloody fucking lens flare. So the combination of the camera constantly wobbling, you know, the third of the screen or the bottom of the screen being blurred, and the lens flare. I just thought, like, come on, like. Yeah, like, pity drop, on the fucking audience. Dropping <laughs> the colour out at one point for for some reason to emphasise the, the 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 texture of the painting, I guess. Or dropping the sound out. I didn't like the use of music either. There's this really dull, annoying, plinky plonky piano music that comes in and then just stops. Yes. And, and again, and it's just abrupt, and you don't feel there's you don't feel the purpose to it. I I did like some of the camera work. Forgetting the uh, effects that were kind of you know uh, applied to it, these the blurring and the lens flare and all that sort of stuff, um, I did like some of the camera work. It very early on, it's incredibly shaky, and you're actually getting there's that one conversation between Gauguin and Van Gogh in Paris, and the camera's getting right up into their faces and it's moving around. And it's actually primarily done in a long take yes. where the camera's constantly moving and kind of kind of intruding on them. And I thought this is kind of um, it's it's obviously it's incredibly noticeable. Um, and almost distracting, but there was a there was a texture that it was bringing out that I that I thought was quite interesting. And then when it calms down, which it does, when he starts painting his boots, I thought you know this is this is kind of interesting. And um, and I, it, I I know what you mean about the shaky cam, but I do think it calmed down. 
there there are really nicely composed and nicely captured things. I think some of the uh, some of the stuff in the first third of the film where he's first in Arles and he's exploring the countryside and he's painting and he's happy and it's sunny and the, I mean the the light is incredible. Yes, and there the are beautiful, is beautiful images and there are some really nicely composed images. There are, but I think as a movie it sucks. Yeah. You know, I think it really kind of makes no concession to a spectator. And, you know, to someone being in a cinema for two hours with this th- this thing jaggling in front of your eyes, I mean, it, I thought it was just pitiless. And even that moment that you're describing, I think it's so contrary to um, the feel, or, you know, I mean, I remember reading this thing about Jameson, you know, and making a comparison between uh, the shoes that Van Gogh painted, which, you know, evoke like poverty and the earth and people struggling yeah and kind of you know it evokes a whole way of life yeah which Mm -hmm. is kind of you know poor people in rural areas and yeah kind of toiling the soil (laughs) and things like that and in comparison to uh uh, andy warhol's kind of Mm. you know shoes right and actually you know when he's painting that you get no sense of that that it's evoking a way of life, you, you know. So you're shown that he's poor and he takes his socks off and so on, you know. But this, yeah. But the film has no no sense of um, texture or relationships or any kind of sympathy for the people who have that way of life that he enjoys for so long. Yeah, mm. I mean, he chooses to be there. And he chooses to be with those people in that place. Uh, And I think kind of, you know, to make them so unsympathetic really bothered me. Yeah, I mean, it's the film that that renders them unsympathetic because I don't think at any point you get the feeling that Van Gogh considers them unsympathetic. He wants to be there. And he's kind of misunderstood by them, really. He has these problems. Yes. And and they uh, uh, kind of uh, get tired of him. the the th- the thing you mentioned about why he why he paints the boots and that kind of thing I I I do get I mean he does seem to just paint them just because they're there yes so that's the way it's portrayed in the film but also the use of the camera in that scene this is what I was talking about the the shaggy can calming down at that point that um, when he gets into that room for the first time it's crazy the wind's going and the camera's moving around and it's incredibly shaky and close up and moving and um, and you kind of feel like if you just watched what was happening on a tripod, like nothing's really happening. He's just sitting there. It's the camera movement that is conveying this His unhappiness, turmoil, inner state. I get and then that. when he starts painting, it calms down immediately. I get that. You know, but so to, me, to me, that's all paced wrong. Because, you know, you do have to consider the audience, right? So kind of, you know, a better filmmaker, you know, would have measured those things and would have paced them. Right, and would have timed them. They would have had kind of a, a rhythm and a rationale, right? So that, you know, kind of those moments of internal turmoil, which are kind of externalized through that wobbly camera, mm. you know, um, you know, would communicate something. And then kind of you return to a different view or to an objective view. But this is kind of almost all kind of, you know, a subjective experience. And it's kind of very unpleasant to watch. I... Okay, I kind of know what you mean, but I do disagree. I don't think it was... I don't think it's nearly as unpleasant to watch as, as you're suggesting. Well, what's um, for me? Well, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the difference in point of view. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't find that. Um, 
You know, I do think it's it's really it's doing a kind of, it's basically a film school thing it's doing at the start where it's like let's make this as shaky as possible and put the camera right up close because we can. Okay. But once but I do think that once that painting begins it really does calm down. And although the camera remains mobile almost throughout, I mean, there are one, there's that conversation scene between him and the one doctor where it is tripod mounted, but for the most part, it is always being kind of shoulder mounted, this, cam- this camera. Um, but it's never that shaky again. Well, um, I don't think it's ever emphasizing that shakiness again, really. Well, you know, I mean, there's, true. That one, there's that one it's conversation true. between him and Teo on the bed where it's actually moving very smoothly and subtly even though it is still getting quite expressively kind of close up to faces and pulling back out again yeah yeah well those moments were better you know so um i mean yeah it's probably it's probably true that it's not as wobbly ever in the film again since the beginning but it is also continues to be wobbly Mm -hmm. like you know it is kind of you know there's no steady cam there's no steady in the mobile cam and it's just kind of very wearying to watch uh, yeah. Or I found it so. And then when you add, you know, that like a third of the bottom of the frame is blurry. Mm. Like... That was beyond me. I mean, kind of... I mean, that's all part of what you're saying. It's a subjective state and he's not seeing things clearly and yeah. so on and so forth. But come on. Like, you know, you find a better way of expressing that. I mean, you know, you said at the beginning that that was very film schooly. I thought this I thought the whole film was very school film schooly. Yeah, I agree with that overall. Um, I think it is. I think there are moments of incredible visual beauty in it. There are. Um and I think I think some of that stuff in the first third half of the film is actually worth seeing on its own to like like forget everything else. Those images, some of them are really worth seeing on their own terms. I, that image of the of the tree with all the yellow petals in autumn. Yes, unbelievable there, to look at some of these Yes, things. there are there are very pretty images and you know, there's the one where he's going on the cart and, you know, the sky is a particular blue. I even like the moment that you don't, which goes into black and white, you know, because... I kind of liked it, but... That's the moment where you see kind of... You see what's in his head and that actually, you know, in black and white, the paintings in the canvas, the trees in the canvas resemble the trees, you know... Yeah, because that's the point where, where Gauguin has decried his painting, Van Gogh painting, saying, you put so much paint on the canvas, it's practically sculpture, what you're doing. And then, cut to, he's out in nature, painting these trees, and he's applying loads and loads of paint to the canvas. It goes to black and white, and you really get the scent with the with the colour gone. It really highlights the, the dimensionality, the third dimensionality of the painting. Yeah, and I think it it's looks, kind of incredible. It looks, you know, um, very much true to nature. So, so you can see the idea behind all of that stuff you know but it also feels like like i said had it been a 10 minute installation that you could walk through at your own pace or whatever (laughs) fine Mm -hmm. right but i think kind of as a movie i i didn't like it um and actually it kind of so much about it annoyed me so i do think that its view of people yeah, it's, it's, it's despicable. Mm. You know, it is it is very much a metropolitan elite, you know, to use that term, view of, you know, rural people. It, it despises them. You know, the film despises them, which is absolutely objectionable. Uh, so um, I hated um, that about it. And I also hated the fact that because, you know, he is who he is in the art world, He's got the cast 
that he's got, you know. So, I mean, it's an amazing cast. Or Schnabel, you mean, because of his position. Yes. You know, so you have kind of, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Mackelson and... Oscar uh, Isaac. Oscar Isaac and Oriak and Emmanuel, whatever her name is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's an amazing all-star cast, really, Mm. you know. And actually, obviously, in a sense, that's to be welcome, you know, but kind of... You know that those people are in this kind of project because of who he is in the art world, really. Yeah. You know, so there's something very film schooly as well about the way that Willem Dafoe acts. Although I think he's he's really, really good. He's great. I he mean, is. I think actually this is um, it's the best I've seen him in. You know, he's transparent, really, uh, and he's got no ego, and he really resembles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it really does. You there know. are points where it's that it's that shot I mentioned where he's talking to the doctor and it's 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 on a tripod for once and he's looking straight down the barrel and it's he's just cut his ear off. Yes. And you see the bandage and, and the hat. And it's identical yes. to that image. Yes, that it famous self portrait. Yeah. Um There are there are moments like that. But there is that one point, uh it's fairly early on in Arles where he's um he's exp- he's running around a field and he lies on the ground and crumbles dirt into his face and I'm like just, just cut your ear off already. <laughs> and then the film cops out after cutting his ear off. It cuts yes. to black and says, and then I cut my ear off. Yeah, and then wake know. up and he's got a bandage. That really yeah. wound me up. I That's why of, I was there. Um, I, 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 I felt it was torture, actually. I kept looking at my watch every 15 minutes. I noticed that, yeah. Um, so we, we discussed just before it started that um, we both really, really liked Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Yes, which is a, a, a previous um, Schnabel film, where it's it has some it has some kind of visual similarities. It has a, a very shaky camera because it's it's all done, or apart from flashbacks in it, it's all done as um, a point of view of this guy, this real guy, Jean Dominique Bobby, uh, who was a, a magazine editor um, who suffered. He got in an accident and suffered from locked-in syndrome, where he could only move his eyes mm. and I think blink. That was it. And so he had to learn to communicate with a board that people would read like letters from him and blink. And and so you you see the whole thing from his perspective. Blinking is done really slowly, and the whole screen goes to black, and the, things are constantly coming in and out of focus and things. It was an amazing experience. It was a really visceral experience, I think, to watch. Mm. And I think that's. I mean, I haven't seen it since it was at the cinema maybe ten years ago, but. I think that film was kind of a masterpiece. Yes, um, um, I well, I remember thinking so as uh, as well. Um, though you know, now it's been a while since uh, since I've seen it. He also did Before Night Falls, so he's obviously very good with actors. I mean, he does get amazing performances from from them. Um, but we, but the other thing was, while we agreed that we really liked Diving Bell and the Butterfly, we also said there's like a seventy percent plus chance that this film's going to be rubbish. Yes, and I think we just kind of both share a prejudice to some degree that Julian Schnabel is someone who thinks a lot of himself and isn't really a filmmaker. Yes, that would be my view. Mm. Despite um, the fact he's made at least one very good film in the past. Well. Um, I mean, I think all of his films are interesting. Um, yeah, like Before Night Falls is interesting. But I also think they're very difficult to like, you know. Mm. Uh, and this one, I really do think it's almost almost verging on offensive. I mean, you know, who are you doing this for? Who do you think is your audience? You know, uh, I mean, and who do you think you are? Like, I mean, really, like, I think no audience... 
is going to sit through that kind of crap. I think it's offensive. It's, you know, it's kind of given no thought whatsoever to communicate something. As this is, you know, and it's a very elitist view. This is what, I'm an artist, yeah? This is what I'm thinking. And it's like your job to, like, read me, right? Like, you know, so there's no aspect of communication. It's like, you know, I express... You know, and it's up to you to, like, you know, figure it out, right? I mean, I think... But also, I mean, the film actually is, um, is, is, it doesn't communicate nearly enough kind of visually. Um, no. It, it, it illustrates visually what's going on. And yes. some of that can be, can be beautiful and, and interesting. But when it comes to ideas, personalities, philosophies, all that sort of thing, it's all done through dialogue, and very clunky dialogue at that. It's very People banal. just say exactly what they mean, yeah. and express things that aren't that interesting. Yeah, and I mean, the whole theory of art and so on is, is banal in the extreme, you know. Hmm. So, I'm yeah, a gift I mean, from God, you know, but nobody appreciates me because I was born too early. I'll, like, fuck off. Yeah, no, that's literally... <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you, I mean, you are supposed to come to this film basically going, Vincent Rackock is, is the most amazing painter there's ever been, and you come to it with the knowledge that he wasn't appreciated in his own lifetime, and he had these issues, and it was only... You know, he never sold a painting in his lifetime, and it was only afterwards that Sunflowers went for $125 million or whatever, and you know, he became the... post... Uh, posthumously, the, the greatest artist ever sort of thing. Um, you, you kind of come to it with all of that... And the film just goes, yes, let's confirm it. Yeah. And let's, well, let's actually, no, it, it's because what it's offering, I think, is an alternate thesis. And it's partly why I find the film so despicable. Because basically what the film is saying is, okay, here's this fragile man, you know, who is obsessed with his work and so on. But really, it's like kind of, you know, it's the art world and these peasants that really killed him, right? Kind of. It's these children who threw rocks at him, you know, and the this, this school teacher who kind of brought their children to destroy his paintings. And, you know, then these young lads in the village who basically shoot him because, you know, they despise him. And, you know, they accuse him of rape and murder. And, you know, I mean, yeah. kind of, frankly, in all the other versions, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it's kind it's of... like the same as what you've heard, except much worse. Well, not only was he not appreciated, he was actively hated and loathed. And and shot yeah. by these people, right? And the priest takes the piss out of his painting. Yes. You know? so, the priest. He's supposed to be there to help him. Well, I mean... Kind Everyone's of, a critic. You know, I don't mind that. <laughs> uh, but actually... But, you know, it's very interesting that the priest is one of the more sympathetic figures in the film. You know, the peasants are all scoundrels, you know, and kind of the priest is... You know, someone who speaks this language again, a kind of, you know, it's pretty. Dis- I think it's the, it's the despicable uh, view. So. Is it the best uh, film about Vincent Van Gogh you've seen recently? No, it's it's uh, it's <laughs> not. So you preferred the? Um... I prefer the Minelli. You know, kind of. At least Minelli offers a world view and feelings. You know, kind of very vividly, operatically expressed by Kirk Douglas. You know, and visually. <laughs> Uh, you know, and uh, Anthony Quinn is Goga, and the film is a visual marvel, you know, so I don't care, you know, who Julian Schnabel thinks he is, kind of, any of those images in the Manelli film kind of crap all over this one. I was thinking of the, um, the, the animated one. Oh, I hated that. I mean, I thought that was a one-trick kind of yes. pony, really. Um, what was so- it called? 
It's the one where like the paintings come alive. Yeah. What was it, <laughs> what was it called? I think it's on Netflix. Put Van Gogh films. I am. I just I mean, there's so bloody many of them. Like he's the most popular painter yeah. ever. Loving Vincent. Loving Vincent. Loving Vincent. Yes, yeah. I did. I couldn't get through it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was a prisoner in the cinema, so I did get through it. But um, prisoner in the cinema. You could have left. Well, not really. It involves kind of getting too many people to stand up. Oh, was it a full cinema? Uh, it was a full row at the electric. Yeah. So you really feel kind of, you know, constrained. Yeah, like you had locked-in syndrome. Yes. Um, so anyway, you let's... You scream with your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> let's wrap this up. We can only kind of yeah, yeah, shit yeah, on no, a film for so long. It's basically not that impressive a film. Yes. Yeah. Really. Um, but, you know, it looked very beautiful on the Mac screen, so that's a plus. Yeah, we saw it at the Mac, and and, um, and on that on that beautiful screen, it was... It, you know, when, it, when it was at its visual best, it, it sang... I think it's worth seeing because uh, Willem Dafoe is so great. Yeah. I mean, I think he really is. It's it's the the best performance I've seen him give, um, and it's it's kind of his warmest, and also his most spared down. You know, because I thought, oh my god, you know, kind of if you think of what Kirk Douglas and how operatic like his performance is, you know, in the Minnelli film. What's Willem Dafoe going to do, right? <laughs> you know, and actually, it was a very pared down kind of performance. Yeah. You know, it was he was he was great. It's, yeah, it's kind of it's it's lived in and it feels authentic. And yes, like, it's, no, it's uh, a really good performance. Uh, initially, when I was getting into the swing of things, as I said, I found it I found it kind of film school in the eye. I kind of I thought, oh, I miss the Green Goblin. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but but as the film develops and you know, in 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 the context of everything else around him, he is obviously the most sympathetic character going. But the reason why uh, um, Defoe is great is because actually he's asked to express quite a variety of emotion, and he does so very openly, very simply. You know, you get you really understand, uh, you know, what he's conveying at each at each point, and actually also the sense of kind of of loneliness, of being misunderstood. You know, the awkwardness of the past. I mean. He's got a whole series of moments that are just kind of really beautiful, you know. And vulnerability. I mean, huge, yes. like, when Gogan leaves. Yes. You know, it, it's very it's very tender. Feel. Or the scene in the hospital with the brother and, you know, mm. things like that. I mean, he's just great. Yeah. Um, he so, needs people. You know, a kind of a really pretentious film, you know, with a horrible view of people, you know, that nonetheless offers a context for a truly great performance by Willem Dafoe. Yeah, fair enough. Bye. <laughs> so we are eavesdropping at the movies. <laughs> and we are on? Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Uh, on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at Eavesdrop Movies. And uh, the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Cheerio. Cheerio.